Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message is very simply this, But Now. Can y'all say that? But, but now. Weeks ago, the title of my message was, But God. Today, the title is, But Now. Let's pray. Father, come on, let's lift our hands to the Lord. Lord, right now, we pray for your help in this place. God, I know there is so much going on in the lives of each and every person here, God. There's bills to pay and responsibilities to tend to. And and God, I know I have a short amount of time here to speak your word and your truth. So God, would you come? Would you do what only you can do by the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, we, we know you're here, but we, we pray, come, give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and our knowledge of you. Lord, we want to know you better. So come on, let's keep our hands up just for a minute. God, we stretch our hands to you and we pray for the power of God, the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit to be here with us. And God, I'm praying today, that you would give us wisdom, give us understanding. Lord, we were, we were lost. We were lost. We were in darkness, but because of your amazing grace. But now we can say we are found, but now we are saved, but now we are redeemed. And we thank you for these incredible truths that we have in this passage before us today. And we pray it now. We pray all these things now in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. All right. Well, let's read this together. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. If you're ready, one more time, say ready. Here we go. The Apostle Paul says the following. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12. Remember, everyone say remember. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having, this is strong, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13 is the key. But, say it loudly and proudly, but, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What a powerful passage, huh? As we begin, let me ask you all a question. How many of you would admit that, and I want you to be honest here, that you have a hard time remembering certain things? Wives, just take your husband's arm and go like that for him. Come on, raise your hand if, if you have a hard time. Those of you who have your hands down, that means you have a perfect memory. Okay, all, all of us forget things. All of us forget things. Um, sometimes we remember things we should forget, right? Someone just asked me some random thing the other day, and I don't know how I remembered it, but I'll just, bloop, here it is. We remember things we should just uh, forget, but then we uh, forget things we should remember. Uh, and I hear the older you get, the worse it is. Is that right, old people? I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand. You know who you are. But I heard it gets worse with age. Is that true? I think it is. I'm I'm experiencing that. I'm only 45. But I'll I'll say this. You know, when you're younger, you don't have as much to keep up with, right? That's our defense, isn't it? Older people. 
<laughs> yeah, it's our, it's our only defense. Um, and, and that's true. We don't have as much now to keep up. I mean, when you're young, excuse me, you don't have as much to keep up with as, as you do when you get older. But I'll say this. For me, you know, I do have a lot to keep up with. I mean, here at Midtown, I guess we're right around 1,000 people. Like if everyone were to show up on a Sunday, which would be a miracle, but uh, we're right around 1,000, maybe a little over, they call like this campus they're home, okay? So I've got a lot of you to keep up with. Pastor David and the team does as well, okay? We, we're always, you know, responding to text messages. And my, my inbox on my phone, you know, my text message box, like, box it, it fills up constantly. Like, I'll answer and, you know, I'll respond. And then inevitably, not long after, it just fills back up with, with needs, uh, with people who are in crisis in their marriage, as Pastor David mentioned, um, just last week, I, of course, I got the news of Brandon's passing, which on one hand, let me just say this, of course, we are going to miss Brandon so much. So on one hand, we, we mourn, don't we? We do. But on the other hand, we rejoice because we have a Christian worldview. And our, and our worldview is that though Brandon's body is dead, he is very much alive in the presence of God. And there's coming a resurrection from the dead in his body and your body. One day our bodies will be raised to newness of life. But I, I received the text message about him and so many others. And, and you know, hey, y'all, it's my job, but it's also my joy to make sure that I'm taking care of, of you, the sheep. I'm the under-shepherd. I'm not the shepherd. I'm the under-shepherd. And, and, and I just enjoy so much what I do, even when it's difficult. That's just what I do. But there's a lot to keep up with. And so if I don't get back with you as soon as I need to, please know I've got a long list of people at times to get to. Get to. So I'm going to do my best. Thank God I have a great team in Pastor David and the others. But I've got, I've got a church to attend to. That's my primary responsibility outside my family. But my, my family is really my primary responsibility. Maybe before anything, I've got four kids who are constantly hungry. Anybody got teenagers? Let me see your hands. You got teenagers? Keep your hand up if, if, you, well, if, if they're expensive. Let me see your hand. Raise your hand if you ever catch them at the refrigerator looking for something to eat an hour or less after they ate. You know what you tell them? Sit down. You're not hungry. You're bored. And your boredom's costing me a lot of money. I got my kids to keep up with. I got sheep to keep up with. Um, some of you may not know this. I'm also a professor at Regent University. I have master's level students in divinity. I have PhD students. Uh, there's actually a PhD. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you go to Regent? <laughs> yeah, I know you're not, of course. Um, and, and so there's, uh, there's a lot to be said about my role there, okay? Um, tomorrow, there's a PhD defense that uh, will involve a student that I've had that's been writing her dissertation for a number of years. So I've led her all the way through all these different phases to the very end, to the defense tomorrow. And so we're almost there to that, you know, the finish line. Tomorrow, about two, it'll all be done to Telestai. But that's a big load that I carry. Uh, I, I carry a lot of weight. And I'm not saying that for sympathy. I'm saying that for context, for you to know, I got a lot to keep up with. How many of y'all got a lot to keep up with? Some of you don't, and you should just thank God you don't. But, but hey, I will say I love my job. It is a job, yes, but it's more than anything, it's a joy. It's a joy. Everything I do, I love. I can't believe I get paid to do what I do. But nonetheless, I got a lot to keep up with. But in the midst of it all, though I think I do a pretty good job of keeping up with my responsibilities, there's one thing that, well, I tend to lose pretty regularly. 
There's one thing that I just can't remember. And this is almost like a weekly thing, or I placed it last, and that's my wallet. <laughs> my wife will tell you, it seems like, I don't know if it's this often, I lose my wallet at least once a week. And how many of y'all know that's something I can't afford to lose? Like literally, you know, even though I can go to my wife's debit card or whatever, sometimes I have cash in there, it'll get stolen. It's actually been stolen before. I've lost it before. I have to shut down credit cards. I don't know why I cannot keep up with my wallet, but I, I lose it regularly and uh, you can just pray for my mind. Like I'll set it down and then I just like, I don't know where my wallet is. So uh, that, that's one thing that, that I, do, I do lose regularly. And as I think about the things that we, that we lose, there's some things that we can afford to lose that aren't that big of a deal. There's some things we can just afford to not remember. We can forget that there are some things that we cannot afford to forget to lose sight of. And you're probably wondering, what, 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 what would that be? There's one thing that you must never, listen to me carefully, that you must never, ever, ever forget that you must never, ever lose sight of. There's one thing you cannot afford to lose sight of, and that is your past. That is where God has brought you from. Now, when I first say that, some of you might be like, huh, I've been told to forget my past, forgetting what lies behind, pressing forward to what's ahead. Yeah, 100%. I've told people that over the years. I've been told that. I tell other people that. Look, you got to forget your past, meaning... This is what I mean by that, that you go there, but you don't live there. you got to go there periodically as a reminder of just how good God is in your life, as a reminder of how far he's brought you. And sometimes the farther back you go and the deeper you look at who you were, the greater your appreciation for the grace of God in your life because you see who you were and now you see who you are and both hands should go up and say, you're the God of my past, you're the God of my present, you're the God of my future. Lord, you started this work and you're going to complete this work in my life. Listen to me. God started this work in your life. Amen? Amen. You say he started it in me. Did he start it? Yes. He says he will finish it. No matter what your life looks like, no matter what hindrances are along the way, no matter what objections might stand against you, if God's for you, it does not matter. Do not forget where you came from. Do not forget your past. Let me say it this way. Your past shouldn't be a place of residence, but it should, as it's been said, be a place of reference. So you should not, in your mind, go live in the past. Some people do that. Some of you, you might be doing that. Living in the past over mistakes, over regrets, over things you should have done, over things you shouldn't have done, living there in your head, okay? Don't live there. Your past should not be a place of residence. Let it be a place of reference. Let it be a place that you, re that you reference and look to but ultimately look away from to God saying, God, I would still be there if not for the grace of God in my life. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? If not for the grace of God, you would still be in that spiritual ditch. You would still be dead in your sins. You would still be away from God. But now because of God's grace, you've been brought what? Close. You are far away, but you've been, Paul says, you've been brought what? 
You've been brought close to him. And here's the great news for every single one of us. Every sinner has a past. Raise your hand if you could say, oh, Pastor Scott, I got a story. Every single one of you has a story. Not all of them are as bad or as dramatic as others, but all of us have a past, don't we? All of us can look back and say there's a time when we were lost. Maybe today you still are because you haven't found Christ. Today I pray that you become a born-again believer. But if you're in Christ, you can look back and say, at that time I was lost. Raise your hand. Do you remember? You remember it vividly? Every single sinner has a past. Every sinner made saint has a future. Meaning, I don't care what your past involves. Some people say, Pastor Scott, if you just knew my past, if you just knew my story, then you would know how much I struggle with all this. And I, and I patiently think this. Okay, I don't know everybody's story. But the person who says you don't my, know my story, let me say it humbly and gently, they don't know their Savior. Because if you knew the Savior and the power of the Savior, like really know the power of the saving gospel of Christ, you would understand that no sin from your past can keep you from the presence of God because Jesus has made satisfaction for you. So we should talk about the sin, but even more, we should celebrate the Savior, shouldn't we? So, so Paul is going there in the congregation with this whole discussion. He's going there. That's where I'm going to go today. Because I think this is so important for us to remember that, that, yes, there are some things we should forget, but don't lose sight of how far God has brought you. How many of y'all get discouraged? Like, you feel like you should be further along? Let me put my hand up. Y'all get discouraged about that? I do. I do regularly. And not because of any egregious sin in my life. There, there are none. I mean, I'm not thinking about sins. I'm thinking about, do I still sin? Yes, do I get impatient? Yeah, but I'm not talking about big things. I'm talking about just things that, that, man, I should be farther along in this area. Raise your hand one more time. Be honest. If, you're not, if your hand's not up, that means you're not being honest, so you should be honest. <laughs> you should work on that. <laughs> you should be further along than that. But I, I get discouraged by it all. But, you know, we all have a long way to go. We do. Every single one of us has a long way to go. But thank God. Come on, y'all, just with me. Let's thank God for how far we have come. Thank God for how far you have come. Even if you're not in the kingdom, but you're near the kingdom, thank God you're at least close to it. Even more, thank God that you're in it. That is, you're born again. You're a, you're a child of the king, born again into his kingdom. Can I get an amen? Amen. So, so this is where Paul's going. This is the emotional sentiment of what he's writing. He says, remember, not just once, but twice. Verse 11 and then in verse 12. But then he gets even more specific. He says this. He, for the first time in this letter, he addresses his audience, particularly the G word, the Gentiles, at the churches in Ephesus. Now, so far, there's been allusions to the Gentiles, a reference, implied reference to them, them and the Jews. But here, he just comes out and says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles. Now, I just went like that. It came not come across a little bombastic and a little aggressive. But Paul wasn't like, he wasn't mad at them. He just said, hey, remember, you Gentiles, you, you in the flesh, Gentiles called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. Okay, what, what does all that mean? Like, I mean, if you're reading that in your devotional time, and, you, and no one's ever explained it to you, like, what do you do with that? 
Gentile, circumcision, uncircumcision, and you're like, I'm just trying to make it through the day. <laughs> what do you do? We're trying to get a good word for the day, to get through the day. What do you do with that? Well, I think most of us here, we get when we read the Jews. Okay, if you read the Bible for any length of time, Jesus was a Jew, Jewish context, Jerusalem. I mean, I think for most of us, that it's clear, at least to some extent, who the Jews were. But this whole thing about the Gentiles, like, who, who are the Gentiles? Well, the Gentiles made up uh, most of the church, it, churches in Ephesus. Uh, this was a predominantly Gentile congregation, or maybe we should say congregations. There were several. But who are the Gentiles? Who are the Gentiles? Well, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is very simple. There's more to say, but let me just say this simply. Gentiles were non they're non-Jews. Now, there's a whole lot more to say. But if you just get that, okay, Paul is talking about the nations, people from the nations outside of Israel, the non-Jewish nations. So he's saying, hey, you Ephesians, you Gentiles. And he gets down to pointing out this practice, this mark called circumcision. Okay, let me talk about that for a minute. Most of us, if not all here, you know what that is. I don't have to get into detail. Just forget the modern practice. Let's go back to Genesis 17 for just a minute. God gave Abraham this practice, this mark called circumcision. And essentially, every male child on the eighth day of his life was to be circumcised. And the mark of circumcision marked those families, marked those children, but marked those, those families and ultimately marked Israel as a nation as those chosen by God and set apart for his purposes. At the end of the day, the mark of circumcision was the mark as a reminder of God's covenant to Abraham and to all who would believe in the faith of Abraham, particularly, at least initially, in Israel. And so circumcision was a big deal. Not so much for medical reasons, but for, in, in this context, in Genesis 17, for theological reasons. It was a mark. It marked them and reminded them of the promise that God made to Abraham. And so that carried on from generation to generation. And the Jews, over the course of time, well, they were very proud of this mark. And not just the mark, but what the mark represented. Namely, God's promise to them. And so this is a good thing. This is a godly thing. It's in Genesis 17. Read that chapter for yourself. But the Jews were marked by this practice and other things as well. But the Gentiles, well, they did not practice circumcision. They did not practice Jewish customs. So if you're a Jew, you had the tendency, I'm not saying all felt the same exact way, but many of the Jews, if they would look at Gentiles and in so many words say, we, we have the law, we have the covenants, we have the mark of circumcision, y'all don't. Now, I mean, I, I don't want to broad brush everybody, but that was the sentiment of Judaism. It was, we have, and Paul said, we have all these Jewish things, Gentiles, nations, y'all don't have it. And so there's a sense of, of ethnic and national pride, even religious pride, all wrapped up in this practice of circumcision. Does that make sense? Now, there's more to say, but just suffice it to say, there you go. Gentiles were non-Jews 
who did not practice circumcision, this, this mark. They didn't have this mark that reminded them of the covenant, covenant of God. And, and so because of that, you've got Jews on one side, Gentiles on the other. But now at the church of Ephesus, you've got both, predominantly Gentiles. But Paul is reminding the Gentiles, hey, Gentiles, remember, you were once, let me, let me use a, kind of a, a, a similar theme here. Through. You, you were alienated, cut off from Israel. You weren't a part of the covenant. Y'all weren't Jewish. Y'all weren't into the things of God. Remember, that's where you were when God found you. You didn't bear the mark. You didn't have these things that, that the Jews had. Paul is essentially saying, remember, Gentiles, you were far away because you didn't have the mark, because you didn't make the cut. I'm paraphrasing Paul, but that's essentially the point. Because you didn't make the cut. Remember, he's saying, remember. Remember, that's where you were. And then he goes on to say that the Gentiles, listen to the language. This is wild stuff. This is strong. They were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, speaking of the Gentiles, and having what? No hope and without whom? And without God. Now, what a bleak picture, huh? Paul is categorically going down the list saying, remember, 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 and none of it's good. Remember, this is what marked you. <laughs> Now, if you don't read any further, you're like, okay, well, man, this is like bad stuff. This is bad news. But how many of y'all know you can't really appreciate the good news until you've really heard all the bad news? That's why if we just share the good news, uh, the gospel, but that's not preceded by the bad news of, of who we were in need of rescue, dead in transgressions, dead in sins, then the good news of the cross isn't that good. But if you understand just how bad it was, then you'll begin to appreciate just how good he is because he rescued you from that spiritual ditch. He raised you from death and gave you his promises, gave you new life. He made you into new creations. He made you his very own. And then you're like, okay, now, now I'll clap. Okay, now I got it. But if we just say Jesus died and he loves you, that's true. But while we were still sinners, he bled. Jesus bled for us. Not when you were good, not when we were doing well, but when we were at our worst, when we were spiritually dead, God made us alive. God made you alive. So who's the credit go to? <laughs> I said it last Sunday. Let me say it again. No boasting, no boasting, only praising. You had nothing to bring to the table but your sin, but God sent the son for your sin to rescue you to redeem you you who were far away you've been brought close you've been brought near by the blood of the lamb are y'all tracking with me man this is good stuff but he's highlighting just how bad it was illustrating how cut off they were and let me just put this together in just a thought for you salvation was from the jews Salvation, Jesus says in John 4, 22, is from the Jews. Not from the Gentiles, but from the whom? From the Jews. Meaning, Abraham, Moses, you read the Old Testament, read it, and you'll see page after page, chapter after chapter, you read about the law, the prophets, you read the Psalms, all of that's amazing in its own context, but all of that 
pointed to the Messiah, Jesus, who would come and shed his blood for the sins of the world. The Jews had access to the covenants. They had access to the word of God. They had access to all this information, the revelation, though many times it was misinterpreted. But nonetheless, the Jews had it. The Gentiles, listen, y'all, the nations were not a part of that conversation. They were not a part of the commonwealth of Israel. They were not in the conversation. They're not privy. They weren't privy to all of this. And so Paul says, you were, you were separated from Christ because they weren't up to speed on the fact that the Christ would come from the Jews. They're just like oblivious in many ways. They were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, and having, here's, here's probably the worst way to say it, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, they had their gods. People in the Greek culture, Greco-Roman culture, the first century, they had their gods. They were privy to that, and they are privy to them, but they were not. The Gentiles were not privy to the God of Israel. Now, that's pretty bad, huh? If you're a Gentile, retrospectively looking back, being like, I mean, if you're thinking of all these things, you're like, Man, I wasn't just like a lost sinner. I mean, they were. But like they, they had no hope on their own. But then Paul goes on to say, this is the bad news. Remember, remember the bad news. But Paul says in verse 13, here, here's, here, here's the good news. Before this was the case, title of my message is what? But now, verse 13, this was the case, but now. And the good news is not, hey, Gentiles, you can all go get circumcised, men, to become a part of the Christian community. That would be very bad news for people who didn't want that. The solution was not get circumcised. I mean, you believe this stuff's in the Bible. I got to preach it. Y'all are like, is he talking about circumcision? I am. It's in the Bible. So can I preach this? We're a mature audience, right? Okay. The solution was not, Gentiles, you have this opportunity now. Now you, you can practice circumcision. The good news wasn't that. The good news is this. But now. Everybody say, but now. But now. In Christ Jesus, you, you Gentiles, who were once what? Far off, Far off have been brought what? Near, Near by the what? Blood. By circumcision, right? By what? Just see if you're listening. By the blood of Christ. By the sacrifice of Jesus. Y'all, that's the way I say Y'all had no hope. No claim to God. No access. But now you do. Why? Well, because Jesus shed his blood not just for Jews, but also for Gentiles, for the circumcised and the uncircumcised, for all people. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. Jesus provides satisfaction for you. Boy, it doesn't get any better than that, especially if you're feeling that way, a stranger far away, but then you hear this good report. Paul says, remember, 
remember, remember. And let's be honest, the Gentiles had many reasons why they could not come close to God. Now, there were some proselytes, and that's a whole other discussion, but across the board, Gentiles had many reasons, let me say this, many excuses of why they could not come to God. On one hand, they didn't want to. They were busy serving idols. But those who had any interest by the Spirit, in in the natural, there, there were all these barriers and reasons why they couldn't come to God. They had all kinds of excuses. They had their own. Some were self-imposed. Some of those reasons were imposed on them by others. In particular, some of the Jews. Let me stop right there for just a second and say they had, they had their excuses of why they couldn't come. And how many of y'all know we have a list of our own for ourselves and others? This is extreme, but there are some today who will say to people, Well, you can come to God, but just not through that church. Meaning another Christian church. There are people people who say, well, you you, you can come to, to God, but only through our church. Listen, no one comes to God. No one goes to God through a church. We go to God and we come to God through one man, and his name is Jesus. And from that, his blood... He purchased the people for himself, which we call the church. The church doesn't give us access. Jesus does. And we got to get that right. And we honor the church. I'm going to preach about the the incredible church Jesus died for like a man from another planet for the next two Sundays. But we got to get this straight. We are made right by the blood of Jesus. We've been given access by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is forming a community worldwide of Jews and Gentiles. All, and I'm going to preach this next time, all brought together by his blood. Let's get real specific. Jews and Gentiles, thank God, black and white. Rich and poor, every distinction you want to make, his blood ran red for every color, for every people. And Jesus died to create a family, like Joseph's coat of many colors. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's next week. (laughs) But we've been brought near to God through the blood of the Lamb. But we have so many excuses. Even knowing that, y'all are like in this with me. I feel it. But maybe you, you have settled. You're a Christian, but you feel like you can only get so much of God or only come so close to God because of whatever reason. There are some who will say you can't come to God because you're in the wrong church, because you come from the wrong background, because... You're this way or that way. There are plenty. You know, it's like, forget the devil. I mean, there's so many people that just want to bring condemnation and want to create barriers. I mean, it's like, you know, that's the devil. I'm like, we're doing fine on our own, creating division and barriers and condemnation. You say, well, that's the devil. The devil devil doesn't even need to be involved. Because sometimes 
we're, we're acting as the accuser. Okay? And there's so many reasons. So many excuses. People say you can't come or you can only come so close. That's from the outside. How about just from within your own heart, in your own life, and as you access your own past and go there? Think of all the reasons in the flesh. Think of all the sins you've committed. Think of all the guilt that you've carried around. Think of all the times you said, I'll never do that again, and you did it again. Think of the fact that you, you, you've got this track record of a certain way of living. Think about the fact that you came from a certain kind of family or a certain background. I mean, think about all the reasons. And if you go there, like Pandora's box will open. Of all of the reasons why you can't be close to God. Man, I've got to list myself. Pastor Scott, what do you do when that list comes up? What do you do when that opposition comes? I'll tell you what I do. I go to the cross. Because listen to me. The cross, not your past. The cross, not your parents. The cross, though we honor them. The cross has the final word in your life. The cross has the final say in who can come close to God. And if Jesus said we can come... Through faith and repentance, if he provides access for us to come, then let no man stand in your way. Jesus said the thief, the criminal on the cross, could come. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus said in so many words to the sinful woman, the sinful women, those that he ministered to, to the broken, that they could come. How many of y'all know? Through the cross, we too can come. With every sin, with every failure, it doesn't matter what you're marked by. It doesn't matter which mark you have, which one you lack because of your upbringing. It doesn't matter where you were born or how you were born. Jesus said you must be born again. And in doing so, we can come. Receive this. The cross has the final word. If you don't believe me, just ask the Gentiles at Ephesus. You who are far away, you've been brought near by the precious blood of the Lamb. When Jesus died for us, it's a big word. He provided atonement. That's a big word. And I could, if I preached it real good and put some words together and veins came out, like you'd clap. You might even stand up and clap, you know, get real excited. But a lot of times we don't even know what that means. <laughs> you know, and I'm not, and no harm, no foul. But sometimes like we, like we get a little bit of something enough to inspire us to respond. But then if you take a step back, you're like, like what does that even really mean? We know it's good. How many of y'all know it's good? What does it mean? Well, I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I think you'll believe me. I could teach for six months every Sunday on just the atonement. Maybe I'll do that one day. But let me tell you in six seconds what it is, what it involves. At one mint. We were far from God. Jesus died on a cross. 
His hands and his feet were nailed to the tree. And by his death, he satisfied the wrath of God. He provides cleansing through his blood for your sins so that you who were far away could be brought into relationship with God through faith in his name. So you who are far away, God, Jesus, Jesus brought you to him by his own blood and removed every excuse, every possible objection, every reason, everything that would keep you from him. Jesus died to bring down the wall, to obliterate the excuses so that we could come home to our creator. And salvation is found in no other name in the name of Jesus. And we say it loudly and proudly, and we make no apology for that. People are like, well, man, it's not fair. God only made one way. Listen, God didn't have to make any way, but he made a way. He is the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I know this is basic for most, but we need to hear it again because we forget, don't we? I went to Israel several years ago, and I shared this with the first service. I, I've forgotten this, Think, thinking about things that I, I forget. But it just came to my mind, last service, um, that, that when I went to Israel, we went to Golgotha, which is the place of the skull, probably the place where, um, we know he was crucified at Golgotha, but it's probably the correspondence of the place where he actually was, okay? It was that, that area, okay? Uh, Golgotha. And the, the God's showing us all these different things about the area, and I'm like, it's just in awe of the fact that, that that's where Jesus died. And I'm like, like, I'm like, I don't know, a quarter mile from it. And then I looked at the base of Golgotha, and there were buses. It looks like a bus station. Google it. And I'm like, how is it that Golgotha has been turned into a bus station? How many of y'all know that's kind of sad? Yeah. But then I started thinking about it, like all preachers do. I'm like, hey, there's a sermon right up in that. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the cross of Jesus. You, you want a ticket to heaven and to God's presence? It's through the sacrifice of Christ. He gets you there. Nobody else. Nobody else. When Christ died, he overcame every excuse. He brought down every barrier. You think you're too dirty? You think you're too sinful? You think you're too bad? Well, I've felt that way before. You bring your bad, Jesus brings the blood. And the blood, I promise, has the power to overcome all the bad in you. You bring the sin, God sent the Savior. And I say it almost every Sunday. The grace in Christ is greater than the sin in you. Don't you ever forget that. And that's not an excuse to live in sin. Don't live in sin. The grace of God empowers you to go and sin no more. Amazing grace. I wish I could, I wish I could sing well. Because I would break out in song right now. But I can't, so I won't. No, I don't want to grieve the Holy Ghost. No. Jesus died, and he rose. There's so much more to say, right? For us. And he made a way for all people everywhere. 
anywhere, everywhere, all around. Does not matter. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Just come. Come. Christians, you're already, you're already near. You're already close to God, but you can feel far away from God at times, can't you? Nonetheless, come. Christians, you're already close in your mind and in your experience. Come closer. Maybe you've made up your mind that you can only come so close in your experience, that your intimacy with God can only be such. And you've got this self-imposed lid on your life that you can only grow so far or go so far. The spirit and the bride say, come. I say, let's go deeper in God, closer to God. Y'all know the word of the year here at Midtown? No hype, just what? Just depth. We don't need to hype anything up. All we need to do is believe the word of God. And I'm going to turn loose that word every Sunday and let the word do its work. Do you believe God? No, you believe in him. Do you believe him? Some of you have been far away from God. You've been running. And sometimes we think, oh man, I'm stupid. Why have I been doing that? Sometimes we think, I gotta turn around and I gotta go all the way back to God, whatever that means. But here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. No matter how far you run away, as one guy said, all you gotta do, I love this illustration, is just believe, repent, and turn. And when you do, you don't have to run 50 miles back that direction or however far you've run, whatever that means. I'm aware of the parable of the prodigal son. That's a different context. I'm saying theologically, based on what Paul's saying, the moment you turn, no matter how far you've run, the Father is here, not there. You have direct access into that right standing because of Jesus, not because of your works or how far you run. Isn't that amazing? You can feel a million miles from God because of your sin. But then faith arises and you feel brokenness and you you feel, you experience the power of God. No matter how far you've run, you turn and he's right there. He's been pursuing you the whole time. The whole time. But you got to turn. Don't live in that sin. Don't say grace abounds so I can just keep on living in sin. No, you turn. You forsake it. Not just say, I'm done with it, but say, God, give me Give me a divine hatred for the things that break your heart. For every attitude, for every action that breaks your heart. And then you turn. You say it as you turn. And you keep on saying it for the rest of your life. Jesus, I know I'm a blood-bought saint of the living God. Have your way in my life. Hold me in the grip of your grace. 
Oh God, don't let me run. Don't let me, don't let me run. Keep me, keep me, Lord, as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Pray that way. And by praying that way, you're going to stay that way as you cry out to God. Cry out to him. Turn to him. And you'll find he's one step away. You'll find he never really left to begin with. You're the one that left. If that's you. Isn't it amazing to know that God pursues us that way? Before we came to Christ, to get us to Christ, and then in Christ, the Holy Spirit, he just won't let us go. Y'all ever feel, we call it conviction. You ever feel after you've blown it, you've seen, you feel miserable? There are all kinds of people saying, don't feel that way. I'm saying, feel that way by the power of the Holy Spirit. Feel the weight of what you've done. Because what we've all done place Jesus on the cross, and it's serious stuff. Racism is serious. It's a serious sin. It's not just like, you know, there's the, in the community, there's mortal sin, venial sin. I mean, it's like you have big sins. Racism, it's horrible. It's ugly. Pride, it's not just some little secondary. It's the, it's the root of all other sins. Call it what it is. Feel it when the Holy Spirit comes and brings that conviction. Feel, feel it. But then you take all that you feel, all that you've done, and you say, Jesus, I'm repenting and I'm turning to you. And when you turn to him, he, he's waiting to take it because I promise he already paid for it all. And therefore, you can come right into the presence of the Father by the blood and the grace of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit every day of your lives. Y'all smile. Y'all look so serious. Because this is serious stuff, isn't it? Before you were far away. But now, we all have access to God through faith and repentance. Y'all ready to pursue him? Y'all ready? Let's do it. Let's pursue him together. Let's go deeper in prayer. Let's go deeper in our love for one another. Let's go deeper in the word. Let's crucify sin. The Puritan John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Let's kill sin. Let's love one another so deeply that this church, this campus, and the others in OSC, that we become a sign and a wonder of the love of God. And the world will know that we're his disciples by our love for one another. Let's go there. Y'all ready to go there? Yes. Y'all ready? Yes. I'm ready. That's where Paul's taking us. So let's go there together. Earlier we sang, the Lord is in this place. And I was back in the sound booth. And I'm like, that's very true. The Lord is in this place. And in, that, in each one of you. Can't get any closer than that, huh? Sometimes our awareness of that is minimized. Sometimes we forget. But let's lift our hands right now as we wrap up. Lord, I pray for that reminder. You are in us and with us. 
We thank you for your good grace. Thank you for your power at work in this place. Thank you, God, that we can all be near to you. We can all draw near, no matter how far we've been. Lord, thank you. Before Christ and even in Christ, now because of Christ, we have full access. And so, Lord, today I pray you would stir up in us, all of us, a desire to come. Come, come, go, grow, go deeper. Lord, I pray that the amazing truth of your gospel would inspire us and encourage us to that end. And Lord, we pray these things right now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the all-abiding Holy Spirit. All God's people said,